Welcome back, dear listeners, to Bite Size Payments. In the last episode, we discussed the key stakeholders, corporates, governments, and of course, most importantly, ourselves. In this episode, we're going to discuss ACHs, automated clearing houses. ACHs are important to us as by and large, that's how we get paid. We're going back to relatively modern history, so like late 1960s, early 70s, and this one is close to my heart as my first job in payments was preparing a payroll file for BACs. Hmm, that was on an eight-inch diskette, I'm afraid, so a long time ago. Anyway, buckle up, we're going to discuss the history, how they work, and of course, who does what. Here we go. So ACHs, you may not know much about them, but I'm sure you will have heard of the houses themselves because the brands such as TCH, Natcher, Vax, China, Unipay, Stet, etc., they're all pretty famous. But to help me today walk through their history, how they work and who does what is my good friend, Erica Bauman, an all-around rock star. Welcome to the podcast, Erica. Thanks so much, Paul. I'm super excited to be here today. There are not many people in my life that really want to dig into and talk about payments with me. So this is really fantastic. And (laughs) I've listened to your past episodes and it's quickly become a favorite. So thanks for inviting me. Oh, it's an absolute pleasure. Absolute pleasure. I'm so pleased. The first ACH was back in in the UK, the British Automated Clearing Service in 1968. And it was closely followed by uh, the California Clearing House in 1972 in the US, of course. Other clearing houses soon appeared, so many so that it became important to have a single process. And in 1974, they found NACHA, the National Automated Clearing House Association. NACHA oversees the two designated clearing houses in the USA, FedACH, and the clearing house TCH, which is a private ACH house. In Europe, we have the EPC, the European Payments Council, who manage the European Payments Rulebook uh, for SEPA, CT, DD, etc. The, the ACHs themselves process the payments for their regions, such as BACs in the UK, STEP for France and Belgium, and DSGB in Germany. But there are many ACHs around the world. In fact, in pretty much every country in the world has one. Uh, they have some different mixes of governance and processing, but it's pretty much the same principles around the world. But, you know, Erica, why do we have these ACHs? What's it all about? First of all, I think it's because we really like three-letter acronyms. Um, so that's one thing that we all have in common. Uh, but the simple answer really is because they're easy and payment methods just don't go away. No matter what we come up with, that may be new or better options. Um, At where we are in this point in history, ACH is so ingrained in our payments landscape globally that it remains easy and widely used. It's pretty close to ubiquity, meaning it doesn't matter who you're transacting with, uh, ACH will probably work. Now, there are some exceptions to that when we think about P2P or person-to-person payments. If I'm paying you, uh, or if you're paying me, I may not know how to accept an ACH directly if you come and say, hey, how do I send you an, an ACH? Um, but there's a good chance that unless we're paying via check or cash, that what's happening uh, behind the scenes uh, could be uh, being uh, transacted with an ACH. 
Um, so before ACHs, what what did what did we do? Um, how did people make their their payments? And it's exactly what we default to when we don't know how to do something more efficient or more digital. Uh, the first one of those is checks. Um, so checks were the most common ways to make payments. And I think you mentioned on a previous episode, it was somewhere around the year 1659, uh, yeah. if I'm getting that right, when checks revolutionized the landscape. And, and here we are uh, in 2023, we're basically doing the same thing uh, with, with checks. Um, so they work. We understand them. Uh, they're they're not as widely used globally. Um, you know, a lot of people will say that it's mostly a U.S. thing. There's a couple other countries uh, that do use checks, but in the U.S., we are particularly keen on holding on to things and not letting go to some of the the older payment methods, no matter what's coming along. Um, then we have wire transfers. So wires is another way to send money without having that piece of paper. They're certainly more expensive, but they are faster and more secure than a check. Typically, they're used for payments that are very high dollar and urgent. So think about things like when you're closing on a house and everyone's kind of waiting in that room. You've just signed 150 pages uh, and then they're waiting for the payment. What they're waiting on is a wire. Yeah. Um, once it comes into the account, it's verified that transaction is able to be to be used. It settles instantly. Um, there, there are some issues with the wires, uh, but oftentimes, especially if you're making an international payment, it may be one of the only options that you can make, at least uh, up until recent history. Um, some of the, the issues I mentioned, it's expensive. Um, everyone is sitting around looking at each other, waiting for this wire to clear. There could be, especially if you're going international, there could be some additional fees. Uh, but far and above, if you're making a very high dollar, fast, secure transaction, a wire may, may be an option. And of course, we have cash, right? The oldest and simplest way to make a payment. Um, but it can be really inconvenient to carry around large amounts of cash. It can be unsafe to carry around large amounts of cash. Um, you know, cash is king, I think, is a, a term that uh, has been used over the last few decades. Um, at the end of the day, everybody will still use cash or accept cash. Uh, that's becoming a little bit untrue. So certainly I, I've, I've traveled to some foreign countries recently where cash was, was the preferred method and, and areas that were less developed uh, don't have access to um, a lot of the, the, the core financial infrastructure within the country. It's still true that, that cash definitely is still king. But when you look at, you know, where you live in the UK, where I live in the US, um, there's a lot of places uh, that won't even accept cash anymore. I recently went to a, a soccer, well, football game, um, <laughs> depending on where you're listening from. And at the arena, at the stadium where the game was being played, they had ATMs, reverse ATMs around the arena that you would um, put in your cash and you would get a prepaid card so that you could, then you could use it at the vendors. So so interesting things happening in, in the cash world. But for sure, if I say, hey, Paul, I owe you some money and I, and I want to give you some cash, you're not going to decline it. A little bit hard to do when we're across the ocean, though, right? So then when we think about the other ways we as individuals want to make a payment, sometimes we can think about things like money orders. I I think that's definitely less prevalent now. They function like cash, but they're sort of in the middle of a cash and a check. Um, So they're, they're prepaid. They could be purchased at, you know, a business. Sometimes you'll see it at a gas station or a check cashing place or uh, most commonly at, at financial institutions. They're more secure than cash and that you're not carrying around this big, you know, wad of paper and it's clear who the recipient is like a check. Um, but they're also more expensive. Um, 
they're they're a little bit more susceptible to to fraud in that somebody could alter the information someone could create a fake money order we're just not so accustomed to seeing a money order and i'll be honest i'm in this industry if someone handed me a money order i would not know the differentiating features to look at to know if it was real or not other than it has my name on it yeah um one thing that all these payments have in common is that where there is money, uh, there is the desire to make things move faster, but then there's also the potential for fraud, right? So yeah. people making fake money, altering checks uh, in this digital age. Now they're trying to get account information and login credentials. Um, but I suppose all of that is a topic for another podcast. <laughs> and one that I'd love to go to. I think if we go back to this, I mean, the, the thing is before ACHs, there was no automation. Everything was a one-off. I mean, you know, can you imagine, you know, being in a company and you've got to pay a thousand employees or hundreds of, you know, suppliers, and you're going to write all these checks manually, you know, you're going to well, give them cash. It's very slow. It's time-consuming. It's prone to error. And, of course, it's prone to bits of fraud as well. So in the late 60s and early 70s a solution was developed in this automated clearinghouse ACHs but you know what do they actually do what's inside them so i think how we define that varies a little bit by if you're looking at this from the perspective of a business owner or someone who's making payments on behalf of a business or if you're an individual for individuals um, it's really about just getting your payment without having to do something. You don't have to go to the bank to cash a check or to make a deposit. You don't have to do anything um, other than supply your bank account and routing information, and then the funds appear in your account, right? Yeah. Um, for business, it it you know as you mentioned, uh, it's very resource heavy to do things manually. And if you think about um, you know, even a, a mid-sized business, you have limited amount of resources and time. Um, payments is not the core of what most businesses do, right? Unless they're in some sort of financial services, there is a good or service that they are providing and spending all of their time on payments is just not efficient, right? Exactly. So for businesses, it's an easy way to facilitate transactions. And I, I've said easy a couple of times. I don't want to confuse that with efficient, but it's easy because, I mean, we've had 40 plus years of practice at this, right? So so we, we've gotten pretty good at it on most fronts. So you're going to hear things like direct deposits. So what does that mean? That's that's payroll, essentially, right? So that's, I I know that every other, you know, Friday or every Friday, there's going to be a credit into my account, um, and that's where I see my, my payroll. My employer has probably asked me for my account and routing information, and then there's the payment. Of course, there's moments of disruption where there could be a holiday weekend or something has happened that there's a delay, but it's mostly pretty predictable. Um, and then we have a direct debit. So that's like when you pay a bill, when funds come out of your account automatically. So if you're a utility company or, or you're paying your internet bill, you've supplied some information and uh, the whoever it is is allowed to go into your account and take the, that money out of your account automatically. So it adds to the convenience and, and helps to be more efficient on the collection side uh, for that uh, that recipient. 
Um, we also think about ACH in terms of just the volumes, right? So you mentioned if you're sitting around paying a thousand people, that's very time consuming. Uh, and anytime you have a manual process, you have the uh, the opening for human error. That's the other piece that's important about this. So you can you can add some automation to prevent some of that human errors. So then we have recurring payments, and that's mostly again for businesses. They're paying their payroll, they're paying their um, their vendors or their suppliers. Um, and a lot of times they're doing that with bulk payments. So again, that efficiency of the ability to make a lot of payments, most of them being, you know, low dollar, um, low value, uh, not like when you're sitting in the room at the closing waiting on that, you know, million dollar <laughs> transaction, whatever it might be. Uh, not for me, but for others maybe. Uh, but when they're paying vendors and when they're paying payroll, those those come in, in bulk payments. So I, I think it's important now that we've kind of define that to talk about some of the whys, if I may. Um, yep. And and I think, you know, we I mentioned earlier that ubiquity piece. So we've gotten good at it. We've had a lot of practice. Um, it makes it convenient. So they're convenient for both businesses and consumers. Businesses automate. Uh, consumers can pay their bills without having to write a check or to use credit cards. They can set it up for automatic payment. Um, it just becomes easy when you have this, you know, unspoken, unwritten handshake between uh, transacting partners. It could be business to business or person to business, et cetera, um, that, hey, this is how we're going to do this. And it makes it pretty easy. Um, and then we have the security piece of it. So ACH payments are secure, again, more secure than um, having a wad of cash that you're walking around with. Or, I mean, this is a real thing. At a check cashing place, sometimes you'll see a white van in the parking lot and they will approach somebody going into a check cashing store and say, hey, I'll give you 50 bucks if you let me borrow your, your check for five minutes. Uh, they borrow the check and, and boom, they've been able to recreate that check stock and, and you know, whitewash who that recipient is. Um, Anyway, so so it's more secure. Um, the, there are fraud measures in place both by the ACH networks um, and then there is also the bank security, right? So there's encryption and fraud detection and all of these things because, again, we've had a long time to figure out how to combat the fraudsters in this payment method. We have the security. Then I think there's one of the most important pieces, which is the cost effectiveness. So um the, the costs of processing an ACH are definitely lower than a check or a wire or a credit card payment, especially if you're a business and have to pay the interchange on those credit card payments. Um, it becomes a way to, to have very predictable costs that are not, they're not overwhelming, right? Sometimes a, you know, a wire can cost, you know, $25, $35 just for one transaction. Uh, when you're looking at ACH, especially for a business that is sending thousands of payments, um, they can they can literally send hundreds or thousands of payments for for the cost of a couple of wires. Yeah. Then the last piece is it's it's mostly predictable. Might not be the fastest, but it's much more predictable than knowing, say, when someone is going to receive a check that you have mailed to them, and then when they just decide that they're going to deposit or cash it. So for a business, it really impacts their cash flow. When am I going to have these funds taken out of my account? Um, how do I know what my cash position is when I have all these payments outstanding? And then again, for a consumer, they don't have to do anything. They can pretty much predict um, outside of a couple of blips that, you know, for things like a, like a payroll payment, this is when I'm going to get my payment. So all of these things really make ACH 
effective when you have a lot of payments and when you when you have this this need to be able to have a certain level of automation and predictability and cost effectiveness it just makes them work that's what's so great about them yeah and you know they're often called bulk payments too all right i mean so you know the, the idea is relatively simple is by and large you'll send a single file with lots of line items instructions for payroll or you know it supplies, as you said, and you send the single file and it just goes through and it pays all the various people. So it's pretty easy all around. And, I, you know, I can remember, you know, paying my bills, you know, once a month, I'd sit down with a checkbook and I'd write it all down. Well, you know, I don't do that anymore. You know, direct debits are taking that world across. And as you say, you know, the costs are, you know, pretty cheap. I mean, especially compared to, you know, to wires. I mean, Somewhere in the region of, you know, a quarter of a cent, half a cent for credit transfer and a bit more for a direct debit, maybe up to one and a half dollars per trend, typically something like that. And I think we should comment, you know, you, you know, timing is important here. Um, it used to be, you know, three days, but of course, in, you know, in the US now with the same day, uh, it's, it's, it's one day. But by and large around the world, it's been pretty much like three days, maybe, maybe two days, but generally three so while maybe not the speediest of payments, they are, in fact, the workhorse of the payments ecosystem. So now we have a little history of ACHs and what they are. But who's doing what, Erica? Yeah, I think for the, the consumer, uh, we can't. We can't say it enough times that one of the benefits is they don't really have to do anything, right? They're providing their account number, their routing number. Um, that's a that's a relatively easy lift. Of course, you do have um, you know some times where people might not be comfortable in providing that information, but it's it's become so normal and it's so accepted uh, that that isn't really a big hurdle. So for a consumer, they have to provide their their account and routing information, and that's pretty easy. They don't have to do anything. Um, for the businesses, it's a little bit of a heavier lift, right? So, so they're sending these transactions. Uh, the the financial institutions and the the payment service providers have made it pretty easy uh, to be able to send in a, a file that's in a particular format. Um, as long as you have those fields filled out and and the file goes out and, and you have funds to be able to cover that file, um, that makes it pretty easy. Where we run into a little bit of, um, I guess a uh, cloudiness is on when when the businesses are receiving those payments right so the most important thing that a business needs to do to make their cash flow more efficient uh, is to be able to have predictability in their cash flow and to be able to understand who has paid them and for what right so so we have this cost efficient uh, payment method uh, we we know the parties who are involved we have a standard file format but for the businesses they have to find a way if someone has paid them via ACH uh, to be able to reconcile that payment back to their account to say Paul has paid me a hundred dollars for invoice number two um, that becomes a little more difficult and 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 that's where we start to have some of the you know, is this really the most efficient? Is this the best way to send payments? Is there an opening for us to continue to evolve the landscape? 
So the parties are the financial institution, the the payer, the recipient. Um, we've gotten pretty good at it, uh, but there's still some some room for improvement, and that's where we continue to see this continued evolution of payments. Yeah, and I mean, you know, to be fair, in 1968, 1970s, you know, it was an analog world, and effectively, the ACH world is still, you know, although it's digitalized a bit, it's still not really a digital system, but um, it works and it's very efficient, but it's nice and convenient. It's great for utility companies and we should mention them because they just have fantastic flow. I mean, all their liquidity just comes in. It's almost guaranteed, right? It's very powerful for them. Absolutely. Um, that that guarantee of funds, and, and I go back to this consumer world because I think that uh, consumers play a big role in how we continue to evolve. And, and in some of those demands, consumers want to know when they're going to be able to be, get paid, right? Uh, businesses want to be able to, to close their books at the end of the month. Um, utilizing ACH is a way to make all of these these processes much easier. So it goes back to this ease and the mostly predictable nature. And, and I say mostly again, uh, because we do have the opportunity for things to be faster and better uh, when we really dig into kind of the, the what's next and what's coming. And, and why do we not just say, okay, ACH is, is what everyone's going to use and this just works. Um, it's because there are ways to make things better, both when we're looking at domestic and cross-border payments and really dig into the real-time payment landscape which is also probably a topic for another podcast another time. <laughs> well, we've got, we've got more and more work for ourselves here, haven't we? Um, okay, so let me try and summarize it like this. ACHs automate payments for us as citizens paying our bills, for corporates paying their suppliers, governments paying their suppliers, and probably the biggest use case as we think about it is probably payroll. And, you know, benefit systems for governments. But, you know, these business processes, I said, they're pretty old, the 60s, 70s use cases. They will come under pressure from, from the immediate payments, which you've already hinted, right? Yeah, absolutely. And there's, there's a couple of reasons for this. So I'm going to go back to that consumer piece. We are very finicky these days. We want everything faster. And that includes payments. Even when it's not a payment, we're, we're you know, technically owed like, like payroll. And I, I use the example of an online marketplace, right? So if I am buying a, uh, a, a, some sort of product online, it gets delivered to my home. And for whatever reason, it doesn't fit. It's not the right color. Or I simply just made an impulse buy that I, that I really should not have made. Um, I want a good experience when I have that return, right? So this is something that was completely on me that, you know, I made this purchase. Uh, I want the online experience that I return this, you know, piece of merchandise. Um, and I know that it's possible through obviously, you know, the, the biggest online marketplace in the world that before I even get home from returning and dropping that off at the UPS store or whatever the, you know, the, the postal entity is, the funds are already back in my account. Right. I, I want that capability. I want that ability. The funds are there. I can move on. I don't want to wait four to six weeks to see a statement on my credit card bill or even three to five days to see the funds back into my account. I'm Consumers are finicky. Um, we also have to think about things like insurance. Right. So 
uh, am I going to choose an insurance provider that's going to send me an ACH in, in three to five days? Um, they're, sure, in the U.S., they're same-day ACH, but there are windows and there are cutoffs. That's not a 24-7 uh, you know, rail uh, especially if you're on the West Coast. It's gotten better with some of the timing, but uh, it certainly isn't guaranteed to get to me the same day. Or do I want to to be with an insurance company that when I have something urgent that's happened, you know, everything bad happens after business hours, it seems. Uh, something has happened between midnight and 3 a.m. I, I want an insurance company that's going to be able to get funds into my account immediately to help me overcome what, whatever urgent thing has just happened. So all of these ways that because Pandora's box, and, and I think in this case is, is a good thing, um, has been open to be able to make payments real time and faster immediate payments. Uh, it's important that we we understand and continue to demand that as consumers. And then, you know, payroll, we talked about payroll, you know, every Friday, the, the, the funds are in my account, but even that is being revolutionized by immediate payments. And there's a lot of pressure on businesses in a very uh, hard labor market to be able to attract and retain talent. Uh, sometimes you have to do non-traditional payroll. Um, yep. Think about the gig economy. The gig economy has normalized that. Uh, DoorDash and Uber, et cetera. Um, when, when people are, are doing these services, they expect payment the same day. And now that has moved into fast food. It's moved into manufacturing. It's moved into all other industries where it becomes a differentiator and being able to attract payments. Um, in the business world, uh, I think small businesses, it's really important to consider the liquidity positions of small businesses. It's, it's, it's hard. A lot of small businesses have to shutter their doors and it's not because their good or service isn't great. Um, they have a cash flow problem and, and much of this can be solved um, and at least some of the pressure be um, eased through real-time payments. So a lot of pressure to continue to evolve um, immediate payments across the, the, the globe, which also then uh, we can talk about uh, cross-border payments, right? By connecting these networks to each other and facilitating better cross-border payments where we're not waiting on very expensive wires with unpredictable fees, et cetera. Um, real-time payments and immediate payments are really uh, opening up the global economy uh, for individuals that have never been able to, you know, sustain uh, that kind of presence. Yeah, I think that's right. I mean, you know, I once worked for IBM and they, they, had, a, they had a motto long before I was there, which was forward into the 50s. And while it seems ironic at the time uh, when I was there, which was in the 80s, I think, you know, effectively... You can imagine the logos around, you know, Nature and um, Backs, you know, forward into the 60s, forward into the 70s. People just didn't think of these use cases back then because they just didn't exist. And now we have them. Well, we need newer technology, new methodologies. And I think you've mentioned a lot of them. But are there any other final comments, Erica, you want to? Mentioned it. Yeah. So, you know, I think there's no doubt that ACH is going to continue to stick around, right? Uh, and for anyone that's really interested in understanding the payments landscape, I think it's important to know that it's just one piece of the puzzle. Um, it's efficient, it's quick, uh, it's easy because we've been doing it so long and it's very much ingrained in the payments landscape in so many economies and countries around the world. Um, but again, it's just one piece. And as we continue to evolve and, and we continue to talk about this story of of payments, it's important to understand how it fits into the context of, of what yet's to come. And, and hopefully uh, those will be some topics in some of the future episodes. I'd absolutely love that. So, 
Thank you very much indeed for your help and your insight to take us through ACHs, the history, how they work, and of course, who does what. I thought that was absolutely fantastic. So thank you very much indeed for all your thoughts and your time today. Thanks so much, Paul. Thanks for having me. Absolute pleasure. Well, there you go. I hope you really enjoyed this episode on ACHs. They really are the workhorse of the ecosystem of payments. If you have any feedback, any questions, please don't hesitate to get in touch via bitesizepayments at gmail.com. And if I could ask just one favor, if you've enjoyed this podcast, please tell a friend. It's by far and away the best way to get the message out. Word of mouth. Thanks so very much indeed. Cheers.